Would you please turn with me to your study outlines? And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are watching online. We are so glad that you are with us here today. Uh, We are continuing our series called The Story, which is a group of a selective Bible reading plan. If There are copies of this available out in the lobby at the Resource Center for um, a suggested price. The cost to us is six bucks, but whatever you can afford, zero. If you can't afford anything, just take one. We don't want anybody not to be able to have a Bible or, or this Bible program, Bible reading program. Uh, because of finances. So just grab one of these, maybe grab a couple, give one to a friend, keep one for yourself. And it's called the story. And there are two kinds of stories going on. There's the lower story where we live. And we often have trouble understanding what God is up to in the lower story. But then there's the upper story. That's where God's at work implementing his master plan. And you know, I always say there's a thousand reasons to follow Jesus. But one of my favorite is that he gives purpose, meaning, and significance to life. I, I tell you, I, don't, I could, just couldn't live. I couldn't get out of bed in the morning. If my only motivations was I'm a random group of cells experiencing random chance, and so I pop out of bed, work hard to earn a few bucks so I can you know, have a party or run off to Vegas or catch a couple of good movies just to do it all over again on Monday morning and raise some kids that'll be random group of cells experiencing random chance. That's a lousy, empty way to live. But the great thing about committing your life to Jesus is now you got a purpose. You have a key role in God's master plan, his story, history. You know where you fit in. The orchestra was playing earlier at the 830 service. And even if you feel like your piece in the orchestra is just one tiny little piece, the the score will not be the same. The orchestral piece will not be the same if you don't play that one spot. And your spot is as essential as Billy Graham or anybody else. God has called you. And so you know you're part of that big story of the upper story by faith, even as we live our lives in the lower story. You've heard me tell this story many times, but a guy comes up to three guys, and they're all laying brick, all on a construction site laying brick. And he says to the first one, what are you doing anyway? He goes, ah, just laying brick. And he goes to the second guy, what are you doing? Ah, just building a wall. He goes to the third guy doing the exact same thing. He says, what are you doing? He says, I am creating a great cathedral. And that's true. You're not just going to work. You're not just rocking a baby. You're not just volunteering for Pomona Youth Club to tutor a child one-on-one here. Uh, You're not just uh, doing whatever that thing is that God has called you to do. You are creating a great cathedral. And you may not see it. In the lower story, it looks like you're just laying brick. But from God's upper story, you are creating a cathedral, and we get to do that. Now, in the meantime, does it ever get confusing in the lower story? How many of you have ever wondered what God is up to in your life? Well, that's the way Israel feels this morning. As we pick it up, the title of our study is Deliverance. And God says, i got great plans for your nation. The problem is they're in slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt. And they're like, God, what's up with that? Well, last week we saw that God raised up Joseph to save the nation of Israel. He started this little fledgling nation with Abraham and Sarah that we saw a couple of weeks ago. Then last week he saved that nation from famine, uh, raised up Joseph uh, to do that. By the way, uh, Frank Wilhite from the 830 service called me this week all excited because uh, Governor Brown in his uh, State of the State address on Wednesday, 
He ripped off part of my sermon. Jerry Brown's always stealing my sermons, you know. And so he's got it in there. And remember, there's a debate going on in our state right now. There's a little bit of surplus. And so there are people that would say, well, we should spend that on government services. And others that say we should pay down debt in the state. And others would say we should save it for a rainy day. And that's just like our momentum campaign. Exactly what Cheryl was just talking about up here is that, you know, we could raise money to do more ministry for a year or two, but by getting rid of our debt, we're going to enhance our ability to do ministry for years to come, if not decades. And so there's biblical support for this. This is a quote from Governor Brown's message, or, or, or yeah, State of the Union, State of the State address. So we can't go back to business as usual. Boom and bust is our lot, and we must follow the ancient advice recounted in the book of Genesis that Joseph gave to the Pharaoh. Put away your surplus during the years of great plenty so that you'll be ready for the lean years, which are sure to follow. And so here he was talking about the Joseph story that we talked about last week. And that's what our momentum campaign is all about as well. Well, uh, God used Joseph to save uh, the, uh, the nation of Israel last week. Now he, we turn to the story of Moses. God's new nation is in danger of annihilation in Egypt. Exodus chapter 1, let's pick it up with verse 6. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country." So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly." The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Now you talk about just two, their names, just once in scripture. Who are Shifra and Pua? Has anybody ever named their daughter one of those names? Does anybody know? Do you ever have a series on Shifra and, and Pua? They're not famous like Joseph or Moses or Paul or, or, or Peter. And yet here they are. They're part of God's master plan. That's the way your name and mine might be. It may not be names like Billy Graham that we recognize readily. But still, what God has called us to do is essential. And one other thing I want to mention here is that there's a reverse of the trend today. Around the world, and increasingly in our nation, if babies are going to be aborted, they're aborting baby girls rather than baby boys. And you see that dramatically all around the world, and increasingly it's happening in our country. And you know, we honor those uh, brave men and women in the medical profession who put their jobs on the line sometime not to obey the pharaohs and the culture of today. But like Shifra and Pua, who in their case probably put their lives on the line as well as their livelihood and said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to fear God and do what God tells us to do. 
And in the same way we honor those in their tradition, in the medical profession, within our church family, within our community, who say, we're going to fear God, and, and we're not going to be a part of that. We're going to fear God and not do what the Pharaoh has told us to do. We're going to let the little boys and the little girls live. Does anybody want to say amen to that? And so we continue in Exodus 2, verse 23. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. Now let's review. The new nation was in Egypt as slaves for 400 years. And a new Pharaoh who did not know Joseph came to power. Now here's a question. Did those 400 years of slavery take God by surprise? Uh, Do you have a Pharaoh in your life right now? Uh, Maybe it's a person like a Pharaoh. Uh, Maybe it's a situation. Maybe it's a circumstance. Maybe it's a financial difficulty or a job difficulty or a health difficulty. Uh, Who who is your Pharaoh? As as a matter of fact, on the count of three, if they're here right now, point them out, okay? And if they're they're in this room, I'm just kidding. That's a lie. I'm not going to ask you to do that. But at any rate, who or what is your Pharaoh, okay? And, And just want you to know, that didn't take God by surprise. He knew you were going to be facing that thing this morning. And that's why he called you here. He called you here for deliverance, to to have hope that even though that thing seems like you're going in circles, like the janitor with the snow or the custodian with the snow trick that was going on, you feel like you're in circles. But God has the big picture. And in his upper story, he knows that even that Pharaoh you're dealing with in your lower story can still be used by him to accomplish his purposes within your life. Didn't catch God by surprise. 500 years before, half a millennium, five centuries earlier, Genesis 15, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and that they'll be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. Remember, as you see the plagues that we're going to see in a minute on Egypt, remember they are being punished for enslaving the nation of Israel. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. I just finished this uh, 50 lectures, half-hour lectures that somebody in here in church, uh, the Bardens, loaned to me. And, and I, I drive a lot because our, our youngest two, our, young, uh, our youngest is in school in Pasadena. And so spent a lot of time in the car. So I got these 50 half-hour lectures on the Civil War, part of the great courses thing that you've probably seen. There's so many lessons from the Civil War, but here's one that I found interesting. Is do you know that many of the people at that time, including Abraham Lincoln, believed that all the death and destruction of the Civil War was a judgment by God on the sin of slavery in our country? And Abraham Lincoln looked at it that way. He said, this is a horrific thing that we're going through right now, but this is God's judgment on us for the sin of slavery. Well, God is about to judge the nation of Egypt for the sin of enslaving the nation of Israel. Now, God uses the oppressive sinfulness of the Egyptians as an opportunity to reveal himself. Next page in your study outline. He reveals himself in three ways in the deliverance of his people. First of all, he's going to reveal his name, Secondly, he's going to reveal his power. And thirdly, he's going to reveal his plan. First of all, he reveals his name. I am that I am. That's the, his name. He reveals it to Moses. I am that I am. We know it as Yahweh means the self-existent one. I love. That is so awesome. Because this is, what are we talking, 3,500 years before the debates we have today about 
origins and, and the creation of the universe. And, and just what an awesome description of God. Because see, even if somebody's an atheist, you got to have something at the beginning. An atheist probably believes that it's immaterial matter, that just is that it is. We believe it's a person, it's God. But you gotta have something. Somebody will say to you, well, okay, who created God? Well, that would be God. Well, who created the God that created the God that created the God? Well, that would be God. You have to have something at the beginning. You have to have something that simply is, is that it is. Eternity, past, present, and future. And that is in the very name of God. Who is this God? He's the self-existent one. I am that I am. And all of creation flows, flows out of that. Now, one other thing I would just want to mention before we read this part, this next section, is about Moses. There's a great lesson in his life. Because he lived 120 years, and his life was divided into thirds, 40, 40, 40. And so the first 40 years, he was a prince in Egypt. Then he made a big mistake. Okay? He, he killed an Egyptian. He took matters in his own hands. He sensed God wanted him to free the Israelites. So he, takes, he runs ahead of God's plan. Remember we saw with Abraham and Sarah, bad idea. Anytime we, something begins with God needs my help, so that's going to lead to trouble. And he says, God needs my help, so I'm going to kill this Egyptian that's uh, beating up on this Israelite. And so he makes this mistake. He commits murder and runs ahead of God. And so he goes out to the wilderness, sent out to the wilderness, fleeing uh, for the next 40 years. Then finally at the age of 80, for the next 40 years, that's when he's on all cylinders. All of his giftedness, all of his talent, his purpose is fulfilled at that point. And why do I say that? Because maybe you can identify with Moses. Maybe early in life or in midlife, you made a mistake. Made a tough decision. Maybe you married the wrong person, or you, um, you, you, you got messed up in your career, or, or you made some mistake. And, or maybe it was a mistake. Maybe it wasn't something you did wrong. Maybe you just feel like God has put you on the shelf for a period of time. And can you imagine how frustrated Moses must have been watching sheep? I mean, this is a guy that many historians believe is possibly the greatest leader in all of history. I mean, to take one to three million people out of Egypt, uh, have them in the wilderness for 40 years, organize them into a nation before they went into the promised land, it is considered, if not the greatest, one of the greatest leadership feats in all of human history. And can you imagine having that much talent, that much giftedness, and you're stuck for 40 years watching sheep? And, and, and so maybe you feel that way. You feel like you've been put on the shelf or you, you just feel like, ah, I made that mistake. Can God ever do anything through me? And let me encourage you. At the age of 80, Moses says three words that are gonna change his life. Here I am. Three words. And I don't care what you've done or mistake you've made or even if no mistake of your own, you just feel like, well, I guess this is all there is. And you're just kind of treading water. Just say, God invited you here this morning, today, to, to say these three words, here I am. And, and God says, God, just what everyone, and, and it may, you know, it may be tutoring one-on-one, -on -one, one child from our neighborhood in the Pomona Youth Club program. It, it may just, it may be, but whatever it is, here I am. I'm willing to do whatever piece of your master plan that you want me uh, to do. Okay, let's, let's just read this next section. Um, you might want to take your, your story, if you have your story uh, Bible, uh, you can pull that out and, and find it on page 45. 
And so you may want to read with me. I'm going to be reading it right from it on page 45. Or you may want to read from your own Bible. It's Exodus chapter 3. Or as usual, it's on PowerPoint and it's in your study outline as well. About page 45, about two-thirds of the way down the page. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. That is today the Mount Sinai, where the Ten Commandments are going to be given. We'll get into that next Sunday. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw they had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Imagine God saying your name. Just think of your name right now. Moses, Moses, Glenn, Glenn, Betty, Betty. Um, uh, uh, Julio, Julio, just th- think of your name right now. What, what is he calling? And Moses did three words that changed his life. Moses said, here I am. Would you say those three words with me out loud together? Here I am. One more time out loud. Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. The home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Now, you know what the problem is? When we're young, we think we're everything. And the problem is, after we get beaten up by life a little bit, we think we're nothing. And the pendulum goes two two ways. How many of you, when you were young, probably thought you could do more than you probably could do? And so you go through a time of humbling. But here's the problem. Now Moses, when he killed that Egyptian, he was a prince of Egypt. He thought he could do anything, everything on his own. He could do it. But now, after watching sheep for 40 years, he thinks he can do nothing. He thinks he can't do anything. And he says, who am I? Maybe you're in that spot right now. You think, oh, man, I've made some mistakes. I've, I've been treading water for a while. Could God really still use me? Absolutely. And God said five words. I will be with you. And that changes everything. Who am I? I will be with you. Yeah, and and be sure to read this. If you haven't read it already, read the rest of the story because he wrestles, he argues with God for a while. God, you don't know what you're talking about. I will be with you. Who am I? I will be with you. Oh, I'm nobody. Then God gets mad. I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. That is Mount Sinai. We'll get into that next Sunday. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites And say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am the self-existent one. 
has sent me to you. Okay, let's review. God chooses Moses to lead the deliverance. God felt disqualified, and God, Moses felt disqualified. God never feels disqualified. Make that clear. Uh, somebody going online, watch this, turn it off, you know. <laughs> Moses felt disqualified, and God equipped him for the task of confronting Pharaoh with his demand, let my people go. And now God is going to reveal his power in the ten plagues against the gods of Egypt. In Moses' time, there were no atheists. People either believed in the God or a group of gods. The key question back then was not, is there a God? They said, of course there's a God of course, or gods. The big question was, who's the most powerful God? So God uses the plagues to reveal his own mighty power. And you'll see there in your study outline, on the left is the list of the plagues, and on the right is the gods that God was demonstrating he was more powerful than, the gods of the Egyptians. And we're going to show you pictures for some of them from Egyptian archaeology. Uh, first of all, the plague of blood was to show his power over the gods of the Nile. There's Osiris, and we've got uh, from Egyptian archaeology a, a portrait of that one or a, a statue of that one. New and Hopi. Uh, the plague of frogs was to show God's power over the goddess Hecht. And then the plague of gnats. The plague of flies was to show God's power over the Egyptian lord of the flies, Beelzebub, which Jesus later uh, uses that name to apply to Satan. Then the plague of livestock was to show God's power over the bull gods, Bucus. Uh, put Bucus up there, Bucus, and then Menevis. Put Menevis up there. Then Apis is the next one that we see, the bull god. And then Isis, another of the bull gods. And so the plague of livestock showed God's power over these. The plague of boils was to show God's power over Imhotep, the god of medicine. They had amazing photography, the Egyptians did uh, back then. And there's a, a picture of him. No, actually, that's from the movie The Mummy. So I, uh, that's not actually one now. Uh, then the plague of hail is from Shu. You'll see Shu there, the god of the atmosphere. And then Newt, or Nut, uh, the sky goddess. And then the plague of locusts was to show God's power over men, the patron of crops. Or a Nepri, who's the god of grain. Or a recently discovered one, Senehem, who's the divine protector against pests. It's just amazing what their technology was doing. That's another one. That's a lie as well. So that, that one is not up there. Um, but, you know, boy, how handy would that be? The divine protector against pests at work, at school, at your family. Uh, never mind. Okay, at any rate. Uh, the plague of darkness was to show God's power over Horus, uh, the god of the sunrise. And, this, and, and then Ammon Ray, this is an important one, um, the god of the sun with Pharaoh as his son. That's why Pharaoh was referred to as the son of Ray. And that's why Pharaoh in that clip, that's very accurate, that he would say, I am God. Pharaoh thought he was God because he was the son of the God of the sun, Ammon Ray, he was the son of Ray. And then the Passover that we're going to look at with the few minutes we have left uh, was to show God's power over Cyrus, the God of the dead, and Anubis, who was the God of the underworld. Now, the 10th plague not only reveals God's power, but also his plan. Because in the 10th plague, there's a clue for us as to the end of the story. Remember, we've seen certain clues in the early part of the story, little clues as to how the story's gonna go later on, the shedding of lamb's blood. And so the Passover, they were to kill the Passover lamb and then take the blood and, and with the branches of the hyssop there, would go, go through the bowl of the blood of the Passover lamb and put it on their doorposts. And some Bible scholars believe that the motion they would have done would be on one doorpost and over on the top and then 
under the other doorpost and over the top. And so they were making the sign of the cross, even as they foreshadowed the cross, 1,500 years. Now, even if that's not the case, certainly the Passover was meant to be a foreshadowing uh, to Christ. Uh, The new nation left Egypt by an undeniable demonstration of the power of God as seen in the plagues and the crossing through the Red Sea. So for 1,500 years, the Jewish people celebrate the Passover. 1,500 years, year after year after year. And all of a sudden, God breaks into history again. And John the Baptist, the next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Now, even though I've asked you to do this a hundred times, would everybody turn with me to the back of their program? And I want to talk to you about how to apply the blood of the Passover lamb, Jesus, on the doorframe of your heart. And if you've never done that, I know you're not here by accident. This is God's divine appointment. He ordained for you to be sitting here at 7 minutes till 11 on Sunday morning here in Pomona uh, on January 26, 2014. This is your moment. Just like for the For the Israelites, they got that one moment where God said, do this over your home. And if you do this, the death angel, the hand of the judgment of God will pass over your home. God's judgment for your sin will pass over. And the homes that did not have it, mainly the Egyptians, God's judgment fell in full force. But the homes that did have it, God's judgment passed over. And I want to make sure that before you leave this place, everybody's got that blood on the doorpost, the door frames of their heart. Three simple steps the Bible talks about, simple as A, B, and C. First of all, you admit your condition before God. All have sinned. We've all done wrong and fall short of the glory of God. We need his forgiveness. We need a savior. B, believe that Jesus Christ is God's only solution to your condition, to my condition. He's the Passover lamb. Only the The shed blood of the Passover lamb was the only hope the Israelites had against the judgment of God. And the shed blood of our Passover lamb, Jesus, is the only hope we have. For the wages of sin, the results of sin, is death. The judgment of God fell on those homes that did not have that blood. But the gift of God is eternal life in the Passover lamb, Christ Jesus our Lord. And then see, choose to follow Christ as your Savior and Lord. It wasn't enough just for the Israelites to hear Moses do the instructions. They had to do something about it. They had to choose to take action. They had to hear God's word through Moses and then choose to do something about it by taking the Passover lamb and putting the blood on the doorposts of their homes. And Jesus said, I tell you, whoever hears my word, as we've all just done, And believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged. But has crossed over, has been passed over. The judgment of God has passed over. And so we have crossed over from death to life. 
Now, I want to give you a chance to do that right now. There's a prayer I'm going to lead us through, and I'm going to pray it out loud, and I'm going to ask you to pray silently. And there's nothing magical about the exact wording of this prayer. Uh, this is just summarizes what the Bible teaches us as to how to be made right with God. That, that's what this does. But let me just give you a warning before I do this. If you read this chapter 4 of the story or you read the passages in Exodus that were assigned in your Bible this past week or if you're going to read them this coming week, I, I bet you were troubled by these words, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. I bet you were troubled by that and, or you will be troubled if you're going to read it this week. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And you're like, that's not fair. Let me put it in context. The first two times it's mentioned, it's a prediction of what God's going to do. The next seven times, it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And then after seven times of Pharaoh hardening his own heart, God confirms it by hardening his heart for him. And God is patient. But there will come a time when if we harden our hearts, we procrastinate, we put it off, we reject it again and again, the day will come when the choice will be out of our hands. And now God will harden our hearts in response to the multiple times that we have already hardened our own. And so at this moment, you may be tempted. Satan may be whispering in your ear right now, put it off, put it off. Not today, not today. You don't know that you have tomorrow. Your life could be taken from you. Jesus could return. Or, after hardening our hearts too many times, God will say that's enough, and now he will harden that heart for us. So this could be your moment. Would you pray silently with me as I pray out loud? Dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to earth. I believe Jesus was who he said he was, and proved it by rising from death. I want to discover and begin following your plan and purpose for my life. I want to get to know you personally. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for dying for me and forgiving all my sins. Right here, right now, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your free gift of eternal life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. That all God's family said, amen. If you prayed that prayer, we've got a free gift we'd love to give to you to help you in your walk with God. As you leave, on the south end of the lobby and the north end of the lobby are guest centers. And we've packaged up some helps to you in your new walk with God. Or maybe if you prayed that prayer, you want to be baptized today. Do you know that that was the biblical pattern? That you'd commit your life to Christ and be baptized on the same day? It, that, that was the way they usually did it in the Bible. Maybe you're going to want to Come back at noon and, 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 and follow Jesus in baptism if you prayed that prayer. But certainly get a hold of these as, as you leave. Let's stand together for our closing benediction. And I'd like to read Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's family said, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.